Hello, Ben. What can I do for you? Hi, this is Lillian. Oh, sorry, she's not. She's at dancing. She'll be home soon, though. Do you come in? No, it's OK. Could you give her this for me? Of course. What is it? It's a mixtape. Some of my dad's old music. She likes it, I think. I was doing it anyway, so I did her a copy. Will you tell her I came round? Yeah, I'll be sure to. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, good morning. We are so glad that you're here. Can you imagine a better way for us to kick off a service than with a happy song? I'm just saying, here in Mount Pleasant, across all of our campuses, let's give our worship teams a hand. That's just good stuff. They can lead us into the power and presence of God and then pull off something like that is just incredible. Well, hey, listen, I'm sure that each of you have your own happy song. If it's not that one, it's another one that puts a smile on your face and puts a little pep in your step. Uh, but I'm curious as to how many of you have a happy dance. Uh, now, we asked a lot of you, and many of you did submit your happy dance by video, and you saw uh, missions team, and babies, and, and all kinds of folks had submitted theirs, but if I'm honest, as your pastor, the number of videos that were submitted were a little disappointing, and so I feel like I wouldn't be stewarding the opportunity uh, to speak here this weekend if I didn't take just a moment to do a little dancing discipleship. Are you with me? Okay. Well, since you're all in agreement here and at all of our campuses, James Island West, at home, online, wherever you happen to be, I want to ask you to stand up to your feet. You were all in agreement. Everybody said yes. And so it would be embarrassing if I were to do this by myself or maybe bring up one or two people to do it. But with 15,000 of your closest friends, surely we could all benefit from some dancing discipleship. So here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do, okay, uh, just to keep it fair, but our tech team's going to turn the happy song on once again, and then I'll, I'll give you instruction from there. Are you with me? Okay, let's go for it. We're going to start below the waist, just the legs, okay? Now, once your legs are moving, you can do all kind of stuff from here and make it look like a happy dance, okay? Sipping a cup of coffee. Everybody's got that move down. Directing traffic. All right, a little shoulder roll. <laughs> All right, stop. Just stop. Turn to your neighbor and say you got some work to do and <laughs> grab a seat. <laughs> All right. Wow. That was special. Well, hey, my name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the dance instructors here at Seacoast. And we are glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. I want to welcome you for joining us online or in one of the venues or at an off-site campus. I'm hoping if you joined us online, you, uh, you joined us in that happy dance. You know, every week uh, we'll have every state in the U.S. and nearly 50 countries around the world. So we may have just set a Guinness Book of World Record for the, the globe's largest synchronized dancing. And, uh, and that's just exciting. Well, uh, hey, how many of you have ever seen one of these babies? A mixtape. Remember these? When I was a teenager, I used to buy these things by the dozen, okay? All I would have to do is listen to the radio, uh, wait for my jam to come on, have two fingers ready so I could hit play and record at the same time. You know what I'm talking about. And I would capture my jam. I was shocked in trying to find these. I thought for sure I could just go to Walmart and buy mixed tape. Uh, but you'd think I was looking for dinosaur bones. You can't find a mixed tape anymore. So I would hang out, I would wait for my song to come on. It was the only way I could memorize some of my favorite music. I don't know if we have any 90s uh, rap, hip-hop, or R&B fans in the house, anybody? Okay. Uh, so Belle Biv DeVoe, 
will come on the radio, bam, you know, I'm going to catch that one. That girl is poison. You know what I'm talking about? That's just good stuff. De La Soul will come on the radio. I'm going to get that one too. Heavy D and the boys, come on. That'll bless you right there. Boys to men, just good. I still remember the eighth grade dance. And you know how it was, girls on one side, boys on the other. I'm a leader. I had to step up, make my way across the gym. Hey, girl, you want to dance? You know? Boys to men came on. I'll only go <laughs> to the end of the road, you know? And it worked out well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. That'll be all of that you get this morning, so I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> but I remember now, I didn't need Hallmark. I didn't even need, like, note-writing skills. I would just put some of those songs on a mixtape, maybe a little Jodeci, you know what I'm talking about? I would walk up and hand it to her and be like, hey, that's how I feel about you. you know? <laughs> just listen to that. <laughs> you know, now you know. Well, over the next few weeks, we're entering into a series called Mix Tape. And, uh, you know, something about music has the ability to stir our hearts, bring about emotions in us that weren't there just moments before. Music has the ability to, to reveal truth or speak truth to our culture, much like the song that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, popular music and culture gives us an insight to culture for how we as believers can, can speak, to, uh, speak to folks and share the good news with them. I want to encourage you over the next few weeks to use this series as a bridge, maybe for friends or family members, coworkers, people around you that maybe they aren't believers or don't come to church or haven't been to church in a long time because they question as to whether it's relevant at all to their lives. We're going to be looking at popular music and culture, not to see necessarily what the artist was saying uh, when they wrote the song or, or what the lyrics say, but to look at these songs through the lens of Scripture to say, what does the Bible have to say about this song? What can, what can we learn as, as believers from it? It's going to be a lot of fun. We may or may not be doing a song from Frozen. You can look forward to that. <laughs> Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> Not that one, but maybe another one. The last week of the series is honestly the one that I'm most excited about because you are going to have the opportunity to vote online as to which song Pastor Josh Surratt preaches from. And so uh, I'm thinking if you just go back, you know, to, to find your old school jam, maybe it was something from the Bodyguard soundtrack, uh, a little Whitney Houston, you know, whatever it is that's currently in your CD player, we won't go check out your car, but uh, you're going to have the opportunity to vote on that, and that's going to be a lot of fun to hear him preach from. And so uh, let me pray for us, and we will, uh, we'll get started. God, thank you so much for this weekend. As we look at the happy song to see what it reveals about our culture, ourselves, and ultimately you, I pray that you would be present, that you stir our hearts, that you bring about fresh revelation, that we might better understand you and your word. God, do something special in our hearts and in this house this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, let me start off by asking you a question. When you think about the face of God, what do you see? When you think about the face of God, what do you see? Right now, if you were to try to conjure up in your mind, either by closing your eyes or just thinking about him, a visible image of the invisible God, what would he look like? Ladies, just to clear up any misconceptions for you, um, if you close your eyes and begin to think about God and he looks anything like Matthew McConaughey, I just want to encourage you to swipe that clean. Uh, just start, start fresh. If your mind was an Etch-a-Sketch, just get that, <laughs> get that out of there. I'm not necessarily talking about the, the style of hair or the color of his skin, but more the demeanor on his face, the countenance on his face when he thinks about you. Uh, what do you see? 
Is he angry or, or sad or mad? Maybe angry because of the way that you talk to your spouse or your kids or your roommate this morning? Is he frustrated because you've yet to be able to shake the, the attitude or behavior that you've been trying to do away with for so long? A.W. Tozer was a pastor and an author who uh, passed away in 1963. He wrote nearly 40 uh, books, two of which are considered Christian classics. And in one of those books, The Knowledge of Holy, he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, why is that? I think the primary reason is because the way that we see God ultimately determines how we relate to him. For example, if we see God as angry, our posture towards him, our response to him is always going to be motivated out of fear and anxiety and insecurity. Fear that he isn't pleased with us or that he doesn't love us or that he isn't happy with us. If we see God as disappointed in, in, him, in us, our posture towards him, our response to him is always going to be motivated out of a desire to perform and please We'll succumb to behavior modification and goal setting. We'll checklist, do anything and everything that we can to be the best me, to see that in some way we can satisfy him. How people saw God was a central part of Jesus' ministry. In fact, in John 14, verse 9, he says this, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So he wanted people to know, if you've seen the way that I've loved children, if you've seen the way that I've spent time with sinners, if you've seen the way that I've loved on and cared for the least of these, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I think about the way that he, he spent time with Zacchaeus. He walked into town, surely people knew that, uh, that he was a thief. He was a tax collector. Yet he had climbed up this tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And he walks through town and says, Zacchaeus, I see you up there in the balcony. You know? Come down, I want to spend some time with you. It drove the religious leaders crazy. He was like, man, you're Jesus. He spends time with these tax collectors and sinners. I think about the woman caught in adultery. She was dragged into town and thrown at Jesus' feet to be stoned because that's what the law required. Jesus kneels down and he writes in the sand and says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, her accusers start to walk away, at which point he kneels, kneels down, lifts up her face and says, hey, where are your accusers? They don't condemn you and neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, the picture that Jesus painted in the minds of people challenged the image of God that they had always seen. This week in preparing for the message and in kicking off the series, I listened to the happy song over and over and over and over. <laughs> and I read the lyrics, and there's some good stuff there, but what marked me about this song wasn't uh, the lyrics. It's not the, the words in the song, but how it makes me feel. If I'm driving down the road and this song comes on, all of a sudden I'm singing along, it's easy to sing to. Um, I'm dancing and driving, which sounds dangerous. <laughs> you know? uh, a smile comes to my face. This year at my birthday party, I walked by our creative room and our staff had all packed in this little room and had a cake and as I walked by, they played the happy song on the smart board and all of a sudden people are dancing and, and happy. The song somehow has the ability to, to kind of breathe life into an otherwise dull and, and boring room. So the question, or the thought, two thoughts that, that came to mind in uh, looking at this song saying, what can we learn from it? The first of which is this, do I see God as happy? As I close my eyes, as I think on him, does the visible image of the invisible God that comes to mind for me, one of happiness? Does he delight in me? If his demeanor, if his, if his countenance 
towards me is that of delight. If a smile comes to his face when he thinks about me, man, that would change everything about my experience with him. I feel like I would walk in a sense of freedom. Anytime guilt or condemnation would come upon me, I would know that, man, I'm, I'm free from that. I've been forgiven. I would walk in the confidence of his love. I would know uh, because scripture tells me that he's my counselor, my comforter, and my friend, that he's my protector, my provider. I think I would experience life in a way that was empowered and set free, that I would walk in the abundance of life that he came to offer. Man, if I know he delights in me, then that changes everything. Well, there are several passages of scripture that seem to, t- seem to uh, speak to or kind of capture this happiness of God, where we can imagine the look on his face in that moment, the first of which is at Jesus' baptism. Up to this point in Jesus' life, he's lived in relatively uh, just obscurity. We don't know a whole lot about him. We know that he had disappeared from his parents for a couple days. Uh, But at his his baptism, when he steps down into the waters, uh, the heavens open, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and God says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And he hadn't even done anything yet. And so some of you are probably thinking, well, that was Jesus, you know, like, of course God's going to say that, you know. But I would remind you about the story of the prodigal son. Uh, that, the story of the prodigal son is a parable, a story that's meant to help us see and capture, catch a still frame in our minds of the nature and, and heart of God. It's a story about a son who asks for his portion of the inheritance early. He asks his dad to give him money so that he can go off and he squanders it all in in wild living and women, dishonoring his father and family. He finally comes to the end of his rope at which he returns home. And as he's, he's coming over the hill on the farthest horizon, his father's eyes have been fixed on it, waiting on the day that his son would return. And at that moment, the father doesn't say, hey, y'all come check this out. Loser. You know, like, of course you would come back home when you're broke and hungry. You know, you're not gonna find food here. You've already squandered all your money, you know? That wasn't the father's response at all. He says, hey, kill the fattened calf, you know? And he takes off running. He tells his servants to get the best robe they have. And he runs after his son. He puts the ring on his finger and he puts the coat around his shoulders. And he tells everybody, hey, this son of mine who was dead is alive again. The son of mine who was lost is now found. Let's celebrate. Now, I want you to go back to that image I asked you to conjure up. When you see God, what do you see? And imagine him at this party. What do you think the look on his face was? You think he was standing in in the corner criticizing his son's happy dance, you know? That's not good dance moves, son, you know? Can't believe we're having to do all this because you decided you wanted to come home. Not at all. I mean, he was overjoyed. He ran after his son. He said, we are going to celebrate. I see on his face a God who delights in his children, who covers us with grace, one who doesn't condemn us but forgives us, a God who is happy. So the first question, do I see God as happy? The second question that I've wrestled with in listening to this song over and over is, does my life bring about that feeling in others? If I can go into the presence of God and find refreshing and and joy and peace and forgiveness, If I can come away with him with a burden off my shoulders, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, do people come away from having spent time with me taking note that I've been with Jesus? Or in Jesus' words, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As people spend time with me, could I in any way say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because of the way that I live my life? Well, today I'd like for us to look at a passage that I believe in many ways will serve as a key for us as believers. If we want our lives to be a happy song, 
If we want people to come away from our presence much like they did the disciples, Scripture tells us that people took note that they had been with Jesus. If we want people to come away from having spent time with us and our lives be a happy song to them, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, there at the top of your outline, tells us the few things that we can do. It says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So at the top of your outlines there, my life can be a happy song when I, number one, join the party. Join the party. How many of you know it's possible to receive an invitation, get dressed up for, and attend a party that you never actually join in on? That was, my, that was my testimony in the church, uh, honestly, up until my junior year of high school. I grew up going to church. Uh, I played the part, would get dressed up. I would sing the songs, knew the Bible stories, make the crafts. Uh, but it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I actually responded to an invitation, that I actually joined the party and entered into a relationship with God. The first step in seeing my life become a happy song, one that's fruitful and life-giving, positive and encouraging to those around me is to join the party. So what does that look like? Going to the beginning of that verse, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That word trust there literally means to put all of your hope and confidence in. If you were to just think about your life right now, what are the, what are the areas or things that you have hope or confidence in? Maybe it's in your finances. You've made some great decisions financially, really wise investments. Vocationally, you've, you've done well and you've stuck to a budget. You've invested in your retirement or, or savings and you're not too worried about tomorrow because you know that financially you're taken care of. You may not say or think, man, I'm confident in my money, but the reality is you're not worried about too much because financially you're okay. Or maybe it's in your relationships. Uh, your marriage is better than it's ever been, or you feel like your social network, your friends around you are people that, that love you and care about you. Uh, you know that, that they got your back, whether you're moving or happy or in need. You know that there's going to be people that you can walk through life with. You're hopeful about tomorrow. You have confidence in tomorrow because you know you're not going to be going through it alone. Or maybe you're confident in your health. You grew up on Flintstone Chewies, and at some point you graduated to Centrum, and now, doTERRA, you have an essential oil for every ailment. You walk up in church, and I try to shake your hand, and you're so lubed up, I slip right off of you, you know? But you're confident in your health because of some of the decisions that you've made. Katie and I, on um, this past Friday, went to see Fault in Our Stars, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit in front of all my guy friends here. It is a hardcore chick flick uh, about two high schoolers, or teenagers, that both have cancer, and one of which ends up passing away, and... Uh, great movie, but as we're leaving that night, we were just talking about as parents. Uh, just can't imagine the, the grief and pain of losing a loved one, much less a child. And how much confidence we have, how much we take for granted our health. Because the reality is, this afternoon on the way home, or tomorrow I could wake up and, and the page of my life be turned and the landscape would change entirely. We have hope in tomorrow, confidence in worldly things that we should not have hope or confidence in. That's why for our lives to be a happy song, the first thing that he's saying here is trust. Put all of your hope, all of your confidence in the Lord. He's the only thing that won't change. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That phrase there, all of your heart, literally means all of your inner man, all of your mind, will, and emotions. So to, to search your heart for the, the things that bring fulfillment to you, 
to search your mind of lies that you might believe or things that you might have hope or confidence in. He's saying, put all of you, all of your hope and confidence that's wrapped up in your inner man, put all of that in the Lord. See, joining the party is about responding to the invitation that's been extended to each of us on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he fully satisfied God's anger towards us so that when he sees us, he sees us covered by the blood of Christ, forgiven. He who was without sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, so that we could enter into a relationship with him that he might be satisfied because of the price he paid and be happy with us and love us, fully accept us. Now, how many of you have ever entered entered into a relationship where you managed to never let down or disappoint the other person? I figured I would be the only one, you know? (laughs) You can ask my wife, you know? Last, last Monday night, we were on date night, and uh, we were having intense fellowship, which, uh, which I will tell you is awesome. If you want to feel good about yourself, you pay a babysitter to come over to your house so you can go out on the town to argue. You know? It's just great. Come home feeling like an idiot and a good steward of your money. You know? <laughs> and over the course of the night, uh, Katie and I are, are talking through the like, tension, and it just came to the point where I realized, man, I've just been an idiot. I had to repent of my my sin. I had to ask her for forgiveness so that we could get on the same page. And the truth is, that's one of the things that just marks our relationships. One of us disappointing, frustrating, upsetting the other, us having to apologize, ask for forgiveness, and get on the same page. And our relationship with God is no different. See, when you respond to the invitation from God, when you join the party, Scripture tells us that you're actually joining a party that's taking place in heaven. Luke 15, 10 says it this way. I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So that means if you're repenting of sin for the first time, maybe turning to a relationship with God, that the angels are saying, woo-hoo, you know? It took you a long time, but we're excited, you know? That's, that's great. Or, or if it's a behavior or an attitude, some, some posture that you've been struggling with your whole life that you finally turn to God and say, God, would you just help me with this? I can't seem to bring about change in this area. The angels are saying, yes, that's it. We are so proud of you. Good job. You know, they're celebrating in heaven. Do you know that this past weekend at our ocean baptism, just for the Mount Pleasant campus and our Somerville campus, we baptized over 160 people, many of which who who joined the party for the very first time. You can clap for that. It's just exciting. Across all of our campuses, we baptized over 200 people last weekend. That's just incredible. You better believe there was a party going on in heaven. Now, can you imagine as those folks came out to the beach for the baptism, if we would have been standing there saying, seriously, again? Okay, you know, see how this goes, you know. I'm awful. Like, nobody wants to do that. Yet for so many of us, if we're honest about the, the picture that we see of God, it's one who's condemning who's judgmental, who's, who's disappointed, who's not happy with us for one reason or another. So if we're gonna join the party, there's a few things that we have to understand about uh, how we respond and what we're stepping into, the first of which is that it's critical for us to be all in. Be all in. If you're gonna join the party, if you're gonna respond to an invitation with him, don't do it half-heartedly. I say, God, I wanna be, I wanna be all in, be fully present. Don't show up to the party on Instagram and Facebook, you know, not really engaged, Be fully present with him, fully present with his church, with people. Secondly, we need to know that it's for our good. It's for our good. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 says it this way, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. His plans for you are good. Know that your needs will be taken care of. When you show up to the party, they're not gonna, not gonna be like, oh, we need some more chairs, you know. Y'all go get some more silverware, you know. They've prepared a place for you. They're waiting. Picture God having sent you an invitation. You know how it is if you've had a party. You thought someone was going to show up, and you're kind of pacing, like, man, I thought Josh was going to be here by now. Looking out the blinds, peeking out the door, like, where, where is he? God is on the edge of his seat, uh, inviting you to join the party. He's prepared a place for you. He wants you to be there. Know that there's going to be celebrating and laughter, encouragement and refreshing. It's going to be a blast. Katie and I have five kids. And uh, each of them are going to come to a point in their life where they're going to have the opportunity to go one of two directions. They're going to be given the opportunity to join the party, to respond to the invitation extended to them on a cross, on the cross and enter into a relationship with God where they really experience him, or they're going to go their own way where they leave that in question. Katie and I have done our absolute best job to model for them a relationship with God that's exciting, that's life-giving and attractive. See, one of the benefits for you of, of joining the party is not only do you get to experience that for yourself, the person and nature of God, not only do you get to step into the abundant life he has for you, but you get to pave the way in modeling that for others. You get to script a different story than the God that they would naturally see in their minds, of a God who's loving and life-giving and full of light and, and joy and life. So the first thing I have to do in order for my life to be a happy song is to join the party. The second thing that I can do there on your outline sheets is to find my groove. Find my groove. And I'm just going to be honest, you know, having seen some of yours at the beginning of the service, some people got a little more work to do than others. <laughs> and it's just the truth. Looking on at Proverbs 3, 5, it says this, and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Why is it critical that we don't lean on our own understanding? There's probably many testimonies in here that know that with the best of intentions, you can shipwreck your marriage, you can, you can bankrupt your business. Scripture tells it in this way. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. With the best of intentions, you can wind, wind up in the, in the darkest and most painful of places. Our intentions at best are dangerous. So he says, lean not on your own understanding. How many of you have given the opportunity to have some input on the person that you are having a little better understanding of your limitations and who you are now. If you were given the opportunity to have input on the person that you are, it would have changed a few things. I would have. I remember when Katie and I first started dating. I'm on top of the world. We're like loving each other and enjoying life. And we're casually out on a date night one day. And she kind of lets me know that I'm the shortest guy she's ever dated. I said, what, what? You know? I said, well, let it be known. I'm also the craziest. So if you need me to apply a beat down to any of your tall friends, I'll be glad to minister to them, you know? But I'm thinking the difference in being 5'11", even though it says six foot on my license, I'm a liar, it makes me feel better. Um, the difference in being 5'11 and 6'3 is me being able to touch the rim and actually dunk the ball. And that's just a like milestone for manliness. I don't wanna need a trampoline for, you know what I'm saying? It's a big difference. So it's like me going to God. Scripture tells us in Genesis 1:27 uh, that he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's like me going up to God and saying, man, God, you're off to a great start here with, with me, but if we could just raise that height a meter just a, just a little bit, you know, that would be great. 
how am I going to say to my creator who formed, molded, and fashioned me into his image that I'm not happy with his work? Isaiah 64, 8 says it this way. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Scripture tells us that he numbered the hairs on our head, that he knit us together in our mother's womb, that he formed and fashioned us in his image. See, finding our groove or leaning not on our own understanding is all about us not approaching life, us experiencing life through our own lens, but through us responding to the invitation that he's given us to live live in a relationship with him and realize that he formed and fashioned us with a purpose, with a vision in mind. How many of you have ever seen the movie Hitch? See that movie? I I love it for a bunch of reasons. Something about a guy who's a bit of a goober uh, being coached into the relationship with the girl of his dreams is just awesome. Well, there's a a guy in the movie named Albert Brenneman who's played by Kevin James, and he's going after this girl named Allegra Cole who he's just in love with. And so he hires this guy named Alex Alex, uh, Hitchens who's called Hitch that's played by Will Smith, and there's, there's a point in the movie where um, Albert feels like he's found his groove, and uh, he wants to share that with Hitch. Check it out. Dancing's the one thing I'm not worried about, but if there are people there, and I'm I get worried, uh, stand, and I... I hate to be a stickler, but in, uh, I need to be thorough. And, um, show me what you mean by you're not worried about it. Trust me. Peace up, yeah. A-Town. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's all about right there. See how it gets bigger? Now I'm gonna start the fire. But the feet are going. I start the fire, I make the pizza. Hips are always going with it. Can't get enough to it. From there, the Q-tip. 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 Throw it away. That's not working. You hit it with this. Don't ever do that again. (laughs) Couple observations I want to make for us. (laughs) As if it's not enough that we ourselves uh, feel the, the pressure of wanting to change something about the person God created us to be. There are always going to be people Uh, that look at us, look at the man or woman with the testimony and story and likes and passions that God has hardwired in each of us and say, don't ever do that again. See, finding your groove, leaning not on your own understanding is all about stepping in to the vision and purpose that God has for your life. Stepping into the man or woman that he created you to be. See, when we join the party, scripture tells us that there's a supernatural transaction that takes place. Though in our flesh we were knit together, formed and fashioned in his image, we've lived all of our lives up to this point uh, serving and satisfying ourselves. Our vantage point is sinful. 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes this transaction. It says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So finding my groove. Man, it's all about stepping into the new me that God has created as soon as I enter into that relationship with him. So how about you? As you survey your life right now, your relationships or, or vocationally or just, just in your heart, if you were to search your heart as you lay in bed at night, do you feel like you found your groove? Are you living in your sweet spot? Are there things about your life that you're just not happy with or, or relationships or maybe just a, a place that you are that you would turn to God? Say, God, would you meet me here? 
I want to walk in that newness of life that I received the moment I entered into a relationship with you. Would you help me find my groove? So if I want my life to be a happy song to those around me, I need to join the party. I need to find my groove. And number three, there on your outlines. I have to thank the host. Thank the host. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 ends in saying, in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That word there, acknowledge, literally means to know. So that in every area or aspect of our life, we have to strive to best know him. How would he respond? If I'm called to be his ambassador, if I'm called to represent him, then I need to know the heart of God. One of the primary ways that we, we do that is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, there on your outline. We can cultivate that kind of heart in us when we're, we're joyful always, when we pray continually, when we give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always. That word there, joyful, literally means gladness or happiness. So he's saying, be glad always. Now, if that doesn't sound impossible, you know, think back to the last time that you weren't glad. Chances are it was at some point in the last 24 hours. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your neighbor parked in your yard, you know, something happened. Somebody did something at the house or at the, at the office that just got all over you, you know, and you just weren't, weren't glad. You weren't happy. So how in the world do I do that? He says, be joyful, always pray continually. So what we do, if we want to cultivate in us a heart of gratitude and thankfulness towards God is when you catch yourself not being thankful, uh, you turn to him. Say, God, my attitude is so off right now. I'm so angry towards him or her. I'm frustrated. God, would you, would you cultivate in me a, a heart of thankfulness? He says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Ecclesiastes 7.14 7, says it this way, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this, the same God made one as the other. You know? There's gonna be good times in your life where you can celebrate and be happy and praise God, and there's gonna be bad times, tough days, incredible pain and loss where you have to cultivate in you a heart of thankfulness and gratitude for what God has done. James 1 says it this way. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And it says, perseverance must finish its work so that you're mature and complete, not lacking anything. You gotta thank him in those hard times and you don't just stumble upon them. You cultivate in you a heart of thankfulness by, by doing it on the typical Tuesday, on the average day of the week when life seems normal, for you to survey all God's done in your life and thank him for it. God, I praise you for what you're doing in my life, for my job, for my family, for the way that you provide for us, so that when you're squeezed, when those hard times come, what comes out of you isn't anger or bitterness or frustration, but thankfulness. God, I know this day has been sifted through your hands. As my loving Father, you protect me, you provide for me, you're with me, so I know that you wanna use this to perfect me, to mold me more and more into your image. So, so change my attitude. Help me walk in this rightly. When we started off the service, I showed you a bunch of pictures of uh, a baptism. 160 folks here, man, we're celebrating that we're so excited about. But the day after that baptism, a friend of mine named John posted some pictures of his wife, Lori, who a year ago had attended the same baptism. Same people were present, wearing many of the same shirts in the same waters. But a month after her baptism, she would lose her, her fight with cancer and pass away. And along with these pictures, this is what John said. One year ago today, Lori was baptized in the ocean at IOP Beach. Only God knew that he would call her home exactly one month later. 
And this is the line that marked me. I am forever grateful that Laurie found Seacoast Church and that Pastor Greg and Josh Sherratt were able to present God's message to her in a way that she was able to connect with. God did not cure Laurie, he saved her. And when I think about a guy like John, amen. I think about a guy like John who's walked through what would have to be the most painful year of his life, experiencing a loss and, and pain unlike he could have imagined. Yet his response is, I am forever grateful that she found the Lord. That even though he didn't heal her, which is no question what he wanted, he saved her. That she'll spend eternity with him. And if we will join the party, uh, if we will find our groove, say, God, who did you create me to be? Because uh, if I'm acting like somebody else, I'm not being me. Who'd you create me to be to walk in that newness of life? And we'll thank the host, cultivate in us a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, knowing that God is daily, continually molding and fashioning us into his image. Then, man, our lives will be a happy song. But I feel like for us, the, the big next step for today isn't for us to approach these three things as a checklist. And to say, okay, I'm gonna enter into a relationship I'm gonna start using my gifts and be the person he's made me to be and I'm gonna thank him every day. You know, I got it. Because how we see God ultimately determines how we relate to him. I feel like what God wants us to leave with today is rightly seeing him. So I wanna encourage us as a church, as people come into our presence, let's be a people who see God as happy. People who, who know that God delights in who we are. That he created us in his image and he's called us to represent him a God who loves and pursues and runs after and celebrates any moment or time we turn to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much um, for this happy song, and I'm thankful for what it stirred in my heart, for the many ways that you kind of shook up in my head the way that I see you, not as a God of, of religion that's condemning and, and judgmental and skeptical of me, but a God who sees me coming back to you on the farthest horizon and runs to meet me, to put a ring on my finger, to call me your son, to put the best coat around me, uh, to give me all the rights of sonship and to celebrate my return home. God, I pray for each of us today that we rightly see you for who you are and that it change everything about the way that we experience you. Be with us now, God, as we respond to you in Jesus' name, amen.